Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Y'all be seated. Welcome, all those joining us online and in person. I want to give you a moment to center yourself as we practice the rule of life, as we slow down to allow the Spirit of God to speak to us to our hearts. Now notice in the text, it says that Jesus says, unless you forgive from your heart, right? You caught that? Not forgive verbally, not, perf- not in a perfunctory manner, but from the heart. That's why it's so important as we come to service to slow down and allow our hearts to be real. And as you know, today's about forgiveness, so let the rage begin. Whatever, if you're livid, let it come and let the mercy of God wash over it and drink deeply of God's forgiveness today. Amen? So let's bow our heads and exhale all the angst all the anger that comes and goes, all that we're struggling with. I even hear it from out here. Someone is angry out there. And um, we give it all to you right now. And inhale the presence of God, the forgiveness of God, and the love of God. July 10th, Sarah Young, Jesus Calling. Relax, that's a very prophetic word today. In my peaceful presence, do not bring performance pressures into our sacred space of communion. When you are with someone you trust completely, you feel free to be yourself. This is one of the joys of our true friendship. Though I am the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, I also desire to be your intimate friend. When you are tense or pretentious in our relationship, I feel hurt. I know the worst about you, but I also see the best in you. I long for you to trust me enough to be fully yourself with me. When you are with me and you are real with me, I am able to bring the best in you. The very gifts I have planted in your soul, relax and enjoy our friendship. All God's people pray, amen. So, I didn't want to have to say this. Tell someone next to you that. I I didn't want to have to say this. You know, when anyone says, I didn't want to have to say this, they really wanted to say it. People are are petty. Don't forget it. And I just want to set the record straight. I really didn't want to say this, but I did. We made bets in the NBA Finals and in the very beginning of the season, and and I hate to say this, Danny, you're lucky you're not here I told you the Warriors were going to win. 
I told you Steph Curry was going to win the NBA Finals. And I told you I was going to take your lunch. And I did all three. Just like Steph Curry won multiple awards, the, you know, the Western Conference Awards, the All-Star Award, the Finals. You know, just, I'm just tired of being right lately. But Steph Curry is, is known to be the model superstar. <laughs> and you know, Knicks fans, if you're here, in your misery, you once had a chance to draft Steph Curry and you messed that up. But, but Steph Curry, after he won, known to be the Christian in the age of Kyrie and KD, oh, the, the headache of New York sports, supposed to be the model superstar. But put, put these pictures up here. But after he won the championship, you know, he wasn't doing these to God. Every time he was interviewed or unedited moments after the celebration, after they won the NBA Finals, the first thing Steph Curry says to Draymond Green, who, who I don't like, but it's triple digits, single digits all the time, and, um, is what are they going to say now? So tell someone next to you, what are, what are they going to say now? What are they going to say now? I mean, Steph Curry, you're supposed to be the model Christian. I mean, why don't you forgive those pundits and those people on ESPN? Why are you even talking about that? Shouldn't you be celebrating the moment you won it, you did it, you, all the naysayers? You proved it. You're, you were the best player in an NBA Finals, finally. Why waste time on that? That's the first thing he says. What are they going to say now? And during the press conference, he goes, I heard all the pundits. I heard the so-called experts raising a zero because some ESPN analysts said that Steph Curry and the Warriors won't win. How many championships will they win in their prime? Zero. They put this sign up, and he brought that back up. Now, if Steph Curry is this petty, who's supposed to be, I mean, supposed to be the model superstar and making about $60 million a year or so like that, 50-something, how petty are you? Ask your neighbor, how petty are you? And they say, no, really, how petty are you really? No, you go, no, no, I'm not petty. See, at one point, I used to believe that becoming a Christian will make forgiveness easier. And then I lived a little bit and realized that that's a lie. Because what runs deep in the human condition is a pettiness that never leaves. Pettiness till no end. We remember the, you know, the slide comments. We remember all, all the bad things, and we forget when someone encourages you sometimes, and you remember the negative things. It says pettiness runs deep, and that's why forgiveness, <laughs> it's never easy. And here's the irony. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you have every excuse to be petty and, you know, be Godzilla, whatever you want to be. But if you're a Christian, you are admitting and declaring that you know forgiveness. By very definition, you experience grace. And grace is something that you receive that's unmerited. 
that's unearned. So therefore, how could we be petty after experiencing such generosity from heaven, from Jesus, from the Father? And that's really the paradox of this parable. Why can't we as believers be generous and not struggle with pettiness? Why is it that every time we have someone by the throat and you're right, and that's why, I mean, I'm very petty. That's why I've been outlawed talking about basketball in public by my wife. She put me on timeout, and now I'm in a chat. No, no, no chat, actually. But a secret chat where I can say whatever I want unedited and not be canceled for it. But uh, how? I mean, how, how do you live in this tension? And that's what this parable is about. This parable teaches you about the confounding tension of supposedly believers that have experienced a generosity so great and unearned, un and unpaid. You never can you pay it back. The magnitude of the forgiveness when you actually put this debt in context of this parable, and I'll explain that in a bit. And today I think we're at service we'll have to end pretty early because our service time is not. So I'm going to quickly go through this parable in three phases, like I teach every parable, the point, the lesson, and the danger. Point, lesson, and the danger. And wrap it up. And help us come to that place where we can become growing in forgiveness and growing in generosity. Amen? All right, so we know the story here. And so what is the point of this parable of the unmerciful servant? The point. Here's the point. And I want you to read it with me. It's easy to what? To beg for mercy when what? When someone has you by the throat. It's easy. And your knees simply... Listen, when you're desperate, when we need forgiveness, tell someone next to you, when, when I need forgiveness from you, when I need forgiveness from you, it's so easy to say, hey, my bad, I'm sorry. When someone has you by the throat, meaning you're wrong, you're in the wrong, and it's clear as day. There's no fake news. There's no dodging it. There's no you know, political correctness. There's no euphemism. You know you're caught, and I hate that. You know you're wrong. It's easy to beg for forgiveness, beg for mercy when someone has you by the throat. So it says in verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now in parables in the New Testament, we see Jesus relating God to a compassionate father. Here he uses analogy as a king. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, and the original Greek would be 10,000 talents, which would be equivalent to, say this with me, 100 million. Say it, 100 million. 100 million day wages. 
So the hearer in the first century would hear 10,000 talents and they would faint. Why? Because there's not, that amount of money is not even in circulation in the first century. Okay? Caesar doesn't even have 10,000 talents. You could work for all eternity and still be, oh man, am I done? Nope. That would be hell. So a hundred million day wages is owed to the king. Obviously, what do you call this? A hyperbole. It's an exaggeration. No one could commit such an offense. Well, look at the person next to you. Could this person be this bad? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, you know these people <laughs> in the small groups, you know, I don't know. But it's a astronomical number, a hundred million day wages for, a, for an average laborer, for a farmer for a day. So it's a paradox at the same time, and it's a confounding number because God is tr- Jesus is trying to make a point. There is no way you can pay this back. And even if you were in prison, what would that do? It would just alleviate a bit of the loss, mitigate it a little bit, and give you some satisfaction of being punitive, but it wouldn't resolve what is owed. It would actually be a complete loss in many ways. And the king is harsh. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. Now, this happens in Korea all the time. The debt falls to the kids. And you see, you know, the gangster, you know, the Korean dramas, right? I mean, I know this well as I watch them. The creditors come and they, you know, break up everything, damage the house, the apartment. You know, they take you for everything. That's why the U.S. is a great country. There's credit protection. And then after seven years, it falls off your credit. Not saying do that. But that's the picture here. And verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. Uh, there is no way he could pay back a hundred million day wages. That money doesn't exist. But the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. In a loosely parallel case, in my own life, I have a love and hate relationship with the Marriott. Marriott Hotels, and, and my wife and I, we are platinum elite status, which means we get upgrades most of the times, actually 90% of the time we stay at a hotel. But when I make a mistake, when I'm traveling, especially in the, with the, the lower chain Marriott's, a lot of times, because I'm smart or cheap, maybe that's a better way to say it, <clears throat> is I book the lowest rate without looking at the fine print. Right? Put this picture up here. You know, when the fine print says non-refundable hotel room, right? That's the lowest rate. 
And usually, guess what the difference between a cancelable uh, rate is? It's usually $2. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're looking at me like, I'm smart, right? But, and it's, it's just kind of like, you know, it's an automatic thought that my hand moves to the cheaper. I, it might be the Asian identity that my parents installed in me. But a lot of times, I, because I'm booking that night, I'm there just for, you know, a few hours, I, you know, trigger happy, boom, done. And so one time I booked a hotel and I realized that I was supposed to be in, uh, in Arkansas, not Phoenix. And I booked one of those nights. And so I land in Phoenix and I realized I booked it in, you know, you, you know what I mean. I'm confused myself talking about it. So I'm calling the hotel and I'm trying to be the most sincere. <clears throat> so raspy voice. So yeah, I mean, uh, I just made this mistake, and I can't really afford two dollars. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's like eighty nine dollars, whatever. And they're like, "Well, sir, it's non refundable." Yeah, but you can do it, right? I mean, I don't usually do this <laughs> lives. Right, someone has me by the throat, contractually has me by the throat. They don't have to refund me the money. I'm begging for my life here to save $89, no pride. Right, if I was to willing to save $2 to book the non-refundable, do you think I have any pride when it comes to $89? I'm on the floor. They go, okay, sir, but this is, you know, you can't do this. Make sure you read the fine print. Oh, of course. Of course. Thank you so much. You are, you know, you're an amazing employee. Amazing employee. You're the best. <laughs> and so, when I'm in the wrong with the Marriott, easy to beg. That's the point. The point is that it's easy to beg when someone has you by the throat. The lesson is this. And it completely turns around. It's arbitrary. Go to the lesson. Read it with me. But it's hard to extend mercy, what? When you have them, what? By their throat. Put this picture up here. Now, this is a receipt from the Ritz-Carlton called the refund. And this is the GM telling the accountant, could you please refund Dr. Kim $1,141.62 below for their reservation? I got the whole reservation for free for a week vacation because we found pubic care in the bed. Well, I didn't, my son did. And he go, dad, look at this. You see how these sins pass down to generations? How this punitive pettiness passed down? And he was proud of it. I think we get this for free, Dad. First, I try to resolve it with the hotel stay. 
And you know, it's the Ritz, right? It's their best chain. We're on vacation. This is not supposed to happen. Right, right before this, six months ago, oh, Marriott, please. Now I have them by their throat. I'm not going to let go. They gave me forgiveness. And they gave me forgiveness from these reservations, like, I don't know, 22 times. Seeing your elite member. But now I have them by the throat. Am I going to let this go? I tried to. I really did. The servant was forgiven for a hundred million day wages. But he couldn't forgive his servant for even less than 1% of that. He took him for all it's worth. And if I'm showing you a bad example, I'm the bad example. And this is transactional, right, in many ways. But in the Marriott stay, they gave me $150 first for the mistake. And then there was the GM survey. And that's where I went ballistic. And that's when the GM called me back and said, what can we do to make this right? I said, you know, I expect more from you guys. <laughs> this is the, you know, this is the top, this is the flagship of Marriott. The GM was like, you're right, sir. And she felt the throat on her neck, and I wouldn't let go. I could have relented. I mean, like, you know, it's okay. She goes, I will give you the whole stay. I said, of course. Okay, thank you. This happens a lot in the Christian's life. Too much and too many. We're in process of learning to understand grace and mercy, but it takes some time. It requires some marinating. It's hard to process what extending mercy is to others as we've been given by God. Tell someone, you can't ever pay back God for your debts. You can't. There's a, a Puritan writer that said that God only allows us to see in the periphery 1% of our sin. And, and Jeremiah says their heart's the most deceitful above all things. Meaning you don't even know how insidious that thing is. We want to see 1%. And if you look at the New Testament, you see Paul from the very beginning of him being an apostle saying, hey, I'm a... I'm just like Peter and James and John. I am a super apostle. And then the end of his life in his letter, he goes, I'm the greatest of sinners. What happened? Maturity, sanctification, surrender. And as a Christian grows in mercy and grace, they realize it's not that they're actually the greatest sinner. They realize that God's mercy is so great compared to how much they've done and how much they've given to others. They become humble. So then what's, we, we did the point, which is it's easy to beg for mercy when someone has you by the throat. And the lesson was it's difficult and arduous to extend mercy when you have them by their throat. What's the danger? Read it with me. The danger would be what? Ending up 
stingy after experiencing such unfathomable generosity. This is the tension of the Christian life. You see, a parable is a hyperbole. It doesn't exist. The story never happened. Jesus created it to, in a pace, to end a story, to show us who we might be in that story, where we might find ourselves in that tension, so that we can, what, find conviction in this journey of forgiveness. And that's why I say, in, I use the participle ending, we're in motion of learning to forgive. We're learning to meditate in God's grace. We're learning to grow in this area, to let it marinate. That's why in the very beginning, then the master called the servant in, right? Peter asked him, Lord, how many times, verse 21, shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to Seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven, seven times, but 77 times. And you go, well, what's the significance of the number? He just made that up. Because it doesn't matter. There is no number. It's infinity. Because our forgiveness is rooted in how much we've been forgiven. And there's no number. It's infinite. A hundred million day wages. That money doesn't exist in circulation. And so the greatest tragedy tragedy in the Christian life is for us to be stingy with others when we experience the cross, when we experience revolutionary forgiveness and love in our lives. I've learned this in my own life recently. I told you that with the Election of 2016 and, and uh, I mean, what was it, 2020? When was the last election? I just went blank. Okay, whatever it was. See, forgive me. But I lost some friendships in the midst of the election lies, the big lie, January 6th, all, all just the, the turmoil of politics in our country. And I was going to an event where this friendship fractured, and I, we were, I, I was no longer talking to them. And my wife said to me, so what are you going to do if you see him? Well, I'm going to completely ignore him. Well, what if he comes to you? Then I'm going to punch him in the other. I'm just going to walk the other way. Why? Because I'm right. I'm right. This was, I mean, this is irresponsible to do all these things. I'm so right about this, I can't let this go. Right? I'm right. Soon as I come to that conference where Daryl Strawberry is, Lee Strobel is, we do, was doing we're, you know, this conference with influencers, my friend comes to me from behind and he almost tackles me to the floor. I didn't know how I felt about this. 
Because, but he's wrong. He goes, man, and he goes, I missed you, brother. And he started talking to me, and he said, in action, there is nothing that could separate us, even if we disagree. And, and I'm like, yes, there, yes, there is. We're not talking. We're not friends. And then I had to think about this as I, as I reflect on this passage. What does the king do when he, has, when he is right and his servant is wrong? He forgives him. So the question I had to ask, am I like my king? No. I'm not like my king. I'm like the wicked servant. Oh, great. Another thing I got to repent about. And then when we go into the the motif of the New Testament, what does the father do when the prodigal returns home? He welcomes him. The good king. The good father. So am I like my father who's good when someone tries to reconcile? No, I'm like the older brother. No, you you stay over there in your political circle. And I I have to confront myself. The text is a mirror for me and for all of us. Because that's what in me go. And and you know what the thing I kept saying to God about this whole friendship and this whole thing was, but I'm right. Tell someone next to you, I'm right. But I'm right. (laughs) Exactly. You have to be right to forgive. That's what forgiveness means. You're right. But you're letting the debt go. You're letting the offense go. You're letting the slight go. You can't forgive if you're not right. That's the whole point. You have someone by the throat. To forgive means to extend mercy, just like the good king and the good father extends mercy. This is not something we can learn in a one session. Forgiveness is not a one-time thing. It's a, long, it's a lifelong journey, amen? That's why Jesus says forgive seven times, 77, or 70. Because it's not a one-time thing. How many people here, couples, you hate, I hate when this happens. I do this sometimes because I'm petty, and I bring up something my wife already apologized for. Yeah, but remember this? <laughs> but remember this? You, we, you already forgave me for that. It doesn't matter. You did that and I forgave you for it. And I'm going to hold it over your head. Forgiveness is not, you know, this clean cut resolution thing that happens and it's, you know, it's gone. It's much like grief. It go, comes and goes. It's sinuous. It's not linear. That's why you have to forgive again and again. You have to pray again and again and surrender it again. That's how generosity fills the heart. That's how we become like the good father, the good king. And so there's hope for all of us, right? Because we see ourselves in the parable. And now I must end because we got to get out of here. Let's, Let's stand and pray together. Now, if the talking hot dog comes out, still focus on forgiveness. Let's pray together. 
Will you lift your hands with me? We're just going to do this in five minutes. The short prayers. Will you pray that God's generosity displayed in your life would begin to reflect in your relationships with others? When you're right, when you're completely right, and we can extend God's mercy, God's forgiveness that we receive to others, and that become bigger and larger through the course of our Christian life. If seekers see us not forgive our brothers and sisters and our families, how could they ever understand forgiveness from the cross? Is the cross simply just an ideological concept or does it have real life application? If we've been forgiven from a debt we can't ever repay, how could we not allow that overflow, mercy and grace to overflow and to extend to our neighbors, to our friends, and to the world? And I come to you today not as a minister, not as anything, but as a friend along the journey with you to want to love and forgive like Jesus, like the good father and the good king. Let's make this our prayer quickly real quickly. give this benediction with this movie hot this movie starts now all right let's bow your heads for the benediction may the grace of the lord jesus christ and the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with you now and forevermore all god's people pray amen, amen. god bless you go in peace hi everyone Welcome to Day in the Sun. It's really good to see all of you guys here today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Minyoung, and I'll be giving some community news before we go into today's sermon. Our first announcement is about tithes and offering. And if you're a member here at 180 Church, we ask that you remember to keep God in the center of your finances. So please continue to tithe faithfully, which you can do at Venmo, Zelle, Chase, QuickPay, or PayPal. Um, we're also asking for a $10 donation for the delicious food that we're gonna, uh, about to eat soon. So if you haven't already done so, um, you can donate through those methods I just mentioned as well. 
our next announcement is about small groups, which are all being held remotely during this time. This is a great place where all of us in our community, we can go into smaller pockets and smaller groups and go deeper into the word together and do life together. Um, our adult groups meet Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Our young adult group meets every Thursday at 7.30 p.m. And our college group, 180 Fellowship, is actually paused for the summer and will, will resume once school starts back again. Um, if you're interested in getting plugged in, you can come talk to me after service. Um, and we would also like to remind everyone here that we do actually have a live stream on YouTube for of our services. So if you can't make it out one week to our service at 19th and Broadway at the AMC Theater, you don't have to miss out. Um, this is a great resource for your friends and family that you would like to share with that can't physically be at service with us. So it's a great option to tune in and be part of community. Um, you can find that on our YouTube channel at 180 Church NYC at 12:10 p.m.